Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. Today's guest is Kevin Thompson. Kevin Thompson creates positive change on a global scale by facilitating connections between increasingly influential people. He's been the trusted connector for high-level entrepreneurs for over a decade, and the introductions he's made have been worth millions. Since June of 2007, he's collaborated on over 452 joint venture projects and made over $16.1 million in sales with his partners. Because he's close friends with so many influential entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals, he's able to cut through all the red tape, eliminate rejection, and guarantee you a red carpet reception for your ideas or proposals. When you have a guy like Kevin in your corner, you are only one to two degrees away from anyone you'd possibly want to meet or do business with. There are three specific things I want you to take away from today's episode, among many others, but number one, how Kevin almost died while working as an Alaskan fisherman, and then how he went from that to getting into the carpet cleaning business, and then how we went from that to becoming one of the most well-connected people out there. It's an incredible story. Two, how you can connect with ultra high-level, incredibly successful people, even if you feel like you can't add value or contribute to them. And number three, Kevin's ultra unique and incredible perspective on building long-term relationships. Hint, it has to do with overnight checks, handwritten notes, and handshake deals. Kevin is one of the most genuine and incredible people I know, and he drops so much knowledge in this episode, it's insane. And just one last thing I want to say is a heads up, we did have some internet issues while we were recording, so if there's a little bit of garble, I'm super sorry about that, but it's not too terrible, so it shouldn't be too bad. And as always, I wanted to give a pre-show listener shout out to Blake Fontana from the US of A who said, life changing. If you are a millennial that wants to take control of your business and life, this podcast is for you. Brandon has empowered me to live my life to the fullest and has had a massive impact on what I have been able to accomplish this year. Purpose-driven content that will help you level up your business and your life and shortcut your way to success. Give it a listen and find out yourself. So thank you so much, Blake, for leaving that review. And if you are listening to this right now and you haven't left a review, please take the time to do that for many reasons. One, it makes my day and I would really appreciate it. Two, it will help more people to find the show. And three, I might give you a pre-show listener shout out in a future episode. So with that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with my friend, Kevin Thompson. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. All right, Mr. Kevin Thompson, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. Man, I'm excited to be here, Brandon. I'm man, I've been looking forward to this. Me too. And I, I wanted to stay in the very beginning. I don't know if you know this, Kevin. I think I've told this to you in the past, but at my very first Genius Network meeting, you were the person that sat immediately to my right at my very first meeting, and ben, Benjamin Hardy immediately on the left. And so I just wanted to say how grateful I am to have been placed right next to you from the very beginning and publicly acknowledge that you are one of the most genuine, authentic people I know. And I just really appreciate what you do in the world. So I'm super excited to dive in today and figure out what makes Kevin, Kevin Thompson, Kevin Thompson. <laughs> 
Well, man, thanks for sharing that. I'll tell you, you know, I, I remember that meeting and, and I remember what I was thinking. I was like, dang, this young guy is in Genius Network. And when I was that age, I didn't have my shit figured out to be in a group <laughs> like that. And so I was kind of thinking like, man, this guy's pretty impressive too. So. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And it's funny you said, you know, uh, referencing my age, because I thought the best place to start was actually, if you don't mind me uh, mind sharing the story about how you got the scar on your chin. So set the scene for us. How oh, old were nice. you? Where were you? And why the heck were you there? <laughs> Okay, so this this scar, I'm going to, well, so I don't know how many of your listeners have ever seen that show on Discovery Channel called The the Deadliest Catch and about the Alaska crab fishing. Well, I, I used to work in that industry and, and this scar is, is from my last trip on that fishing boat. Uh, I got I got into that business in 1988, right after I got out of the military, uh, serving four years. I graduated high school in 83, uh, served four years in the military, and actually got out the end of 87, and I went up to Alaska fishing in January of 88. And, and I did that after having a conversation with a good friend of mine who I'd known since first grade, uh, where I was like, you know what, I, I want to start my own business. And I need to get some money together to start a business. At least that was my thought process at that time. And, and uh, I was like, man, I, what's the best way for me to get money together? And we live in the Seattle area. I live about 40 miles north of Seattle. My friend Scott was like, well, Kev, go down to Seattle and, and go down to Fisherman's Terminal. Get yourself a job on one of those fishing boats. Go to Alaska, man. Those guys make all kinds of money. And I'm like, that sounds good to me. And so that's what I did. And uh, I had no idea the adventure that awaited me in doing that. <laughs> I'm sure. So there, there was a whole lot of uh, hurdles to become, just even getting a job because, you know, when, when I went down to Fisherman's Terminal and was hitting the docks trying to get a job, the, the captains of these boats are like, man, we don't hire off the dock because you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. This is like some insane weather conditions, working conditions. It's long hours. Uh, and, and we don't hire off the dock. We, we just hire guys that, you know, from friends of guys who have been on the boat or who have already worked in the industry. And, uh, but one guy, this guy, John Waddell, he was like, you know what? He's like, I might be a guy short for this next trip. He's like, give me your number. And he's like, I, I might end up giving you a call. Well, he ended up calling me and, and he was like, Kev, how, how quick can you get down here to the boat? I was like, I'll be there in two hours. He's like, all right, pack your stuff and head on down here. And he's like, when you get here, come up to the wheelhouse and see me. And so I did. Uh, and I get there and he and myself are talking in the wheelhouse. And he's like, Kev, he's like, I have never done anything like this before. And he's like, and honestly, he's like, this scares the crap out of me. Uh, and, and he's like, this is a pretty intense job. You will never work another job in your life like what you're about to work on this boat. And I am just praying that you don't let me down. Mm. And um, I, I told him right then and there, I was like, John, I am really grateful for you giving me this opportunity and I will not let you down. And, and fortunately, you know, for, for me, my, my dad, my dad used to be a fisherman for a period of time in the sixties. Mm. So it was in your blood. And, and, and so his take 
my dad, he, he always told me as a young kid, he's like, Kevin, the harder you work, the more successful you'll be. And that was his best advice. That was his best advice. That was his experience. That's what, you know, so he always instilled this really good work ethic in me. But I'll tell you, even at that, getting up to Alaska on that fishing boat, um, man, that I, I had never experienced anything like that. It was insane working conditions, wet, miserable, cold, freezing temperature kind of weather, high seas, half the job is just learn to stay on your doggone feet as this boat is rocking and rolling underneath you. Um, and, uh, you know, we, but I did that for eight years. I did that for eight years. Uh, the first year that I went up there, uh, was 1988. I was 23 years old and, um, I went up there in January. I stayed for 10 months straight, not on the same boat. Not I worked with John on that first trip for about two and a half, three months. Everybody else was getting ready to go home and, you know, celebrate end of the trip going home. And, and John's like, what are you going to do, Kevin? I was like, you know what? I'd, I'd like to keep working. And, uh, and he's like, well, he's like, let me make a couple calls. And so he just went up to the wheelhouse and got on the radio right there. And we were in Dutch Harbor, Alaska. And he just reached out to a couple of his buddies who were captains of other boats and just asked them, are you looking for any help? And until about the third guy he talked with, he's like, yeah, I could use some help. And, and John's like, well, I got this guy. He's a bust ass worker. I'm going to send him over to your boat. He'll do right by you. And so I went over to that guy's boat and, and I ended up staying up in Alaska that first year for 10 months straight, all the way through October of that year. And I came home with almost $120,000 in my pocket. That was after taxes. That was done deal in my pocket at 23 years old. Brandon, I've never seen that kind of money in my and, life. And hold on. <laughs> I want to I back up here and frame this for people because I think I did the math You know, when I was doing research on this. This is when when did you get the $120,000? What year was it? Uh, October. I, I came home in October of 88. Okay. So, that, so I, I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but like, the, so 1988, $120,000 is a lot different than 2021, $120,000. So I think, you know, totally. ballpark, totally. we're talking like 300,000, $250,000. So just so people can kind of picture <laughs> 1988 money to, to 2021 money when we're recording this, but that, that, you know, that was a decent chunk of change right there for doing this crazy grueling work. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I wanted yeah. to clarify on, on two things here, Kevin. The first, I would love to hear what you think this captain saw in you, because if he was if he was placing such a huge bet on you and I, I you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you could add a little bit of context, like how much people need to depend on you on that ship, what kind of work you're doing. I mean, you're working 24 to 48 hours straight sometimes, aren't you, in order to yeah. do this kind of work? Yeah. So I know it was kind of a long Absolutely. way of saying it, but yeah. what do you think he saw on you to actually give you that opportunity to do this crazy work for a young kid that had never done it before? He, well, he, when we, when I spoke with him the first time, he asked about some of the other stuff that I had done. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I worked uh, on a local farm. In fact, I grew up working on the farm and, and uh, it was a crop farm and their biggest crop every year was in, in June, July was strawberries. I mean, they did other crops, but that was their major crop. And, uh, and working on that farm as a kid, uh, especially during strawberry season, me and the, the, the owners of the farm, their son uh, and I were in the same grade together. And that's, in fact, funny thing, I just told you before we started recording uh, about a situation I had at my home last week, 
their son is the one that my friend Gary no is the one that came over. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Help me it out. And we, like, we go back way long ways, but I worked on this farm. And especially during strawberry season, we, him and I, we would be there at work at like 5 a.m. And we would work until like 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, depending on how much work needed to be done for the day. And we worked seven days a week for a month during strawberry season. And then after that ended, uh, we worked, we went for the work for this other company that uh, harvested peas here. And that was another job that we would work for the next month pea harvesting. And it was the same deal. It was 12 on 12 off seven days a week for the whole next month. And so I was sharing that with this captain with John and, and just, and he was asking about, well, tell me, tell me about some of your work history. And I think it was just in sharing those stories. And he was asking me how I liked it and all that. And I was like, dang, I was like, I loved working on that farm. And I, and I explained to him how one time I did uh, for some friends of mine for two weeks while they went on vacation, I worked on a dairy farm and, and milking cows. And I was like, you know what? Now I'll tell you what, milking cows, that totally sucks. I'd much <laughs> rather work on a crop farm and work. I don't care how many hours I'll work on the crop farm. You right. know? And, uh, but I, I think, you know, just sharing, you know, and, and once again, that comes from my dad instilling that work ethic in me, you know, that I've never been afraid of hard work. And, and even when John told me, don't, I, I'm just praying, you don't let me down. That was almost like a challenge. I was like, because I'm like, I'm not going to let this guy down. I'm, and, and really in the back of my mind too, Brandon, I'm thinking, because my dad passed away when I was 16, when I was in 10th grade. And I, I remember so many times on that fishing boat thinking that like, man, dad, if you can see me now, I know you'd be proud because man, this is some damn hard work right here. You know, that's incredible. And I think it was John could see that I had that kind of work ethic that he knew was needed for that job. Yeah. So man, I love this. And I know this is just the start and we're going to dive into so many things that you've done, but I just knowing you and hearing your backstory, it's so crazy to see this through line because you know, that, that trustworthiness has been a huge thing, I think in your entire life. And I know uh, you, I mean, you've done over $16 million in partnership deals. You're like the, the JV guy. And it's, it's really cool to see that that was something that was present from the very, very beginning. Uh, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I don't leave people hanging though. Cause I love, I want to make sure I got this story. Can you tell us about how specifically you got the scar though? Cause I think this is absolutely crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my last year in the fishing industry. That would have been in 1995. And, uh, on this particular night, we, we were in one heck of a storm. I mean, if you ever seen that movie or, or that show, this deadliest catch or, that other movie uh, with uh, oh, what's the perfect storm. That's what it was. The perfect storm. Uh, you know, I mean, it was that insane. And, and uh, you know, we, we were out working um, and quite honestly, you know, when you get into a storm like that, it is scary. I mean, and like for me, the way that I deal with that, is I don't ever look out at the horizon because I don't want to just be sitting there looking at like how bad it really is. I just like concentrate on my job, getting the catch onto the boat. The skipper, the captain, he's up in the wheelhouse. He's watching the big picture. He's keeping his guys safe, you know? And so we just do our thing and we let him be our eyes and he's going to let us know if anything happens. And 
all of a sudden I hear his thundering voice over the intercom system. And he's like, Kevin duck. And before I could even react, we got hit broadside with what's called a rogue wave. And, and a rogue wave is, you know, normally you, your boat is just going into the waves and just riding with it. But every once in a while you get this ro rogue wave that just comes out of nowhere from the side and just pounds you from the side. And that wave came in and it picked me up like a toothpick and hurled me all the way across that boat. And I hit the railing with my face. And if I wouldn't have hit that railing, that wave would have tossed me right over the edge of that boat into the sea. <laughs> and had that have happened, that would have been it. That would have been it. Uh, I would have died right then and there. There's no way that that skipper would have got that boat turned around in time to save me. But I hit the railing with my face. Uh, it, it put this scar on my chin. In fact, it, it cut it wide open is what it did. And uh, it knocked my front teeth out. Uh, and one of my tooth was at an angle. And, it, and when it did that, and I bit just right, it, it sliced my tongue open too. <laughs> And so, I mean, I was kind of a bloody mess all around my face from, from get, hitting the railing and stuff. But what was interesting is, you know, we, we ended up like stopping fishing for a little bit so they could tend to me. And, and it, you know, on a boat like that, the captain has a fair amount of medical experience. Uh, they go through a lot of training and stuff so they can do certain things on the boat. Well, he sutured me up best as he could with my chin, uh, my tooth. There's not a whole lot you can do about that. It was it was broken off to where the nerve was exposed. And when you're in cold, cold weather like that and your tooth nerve is exposed, that hurts like hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and but it I, I did not want to be the guy who shut down the whole fishing operation and say, I need to go to the doctor because that's a two and a half uh, two and a half day steam in the port to go to the doctor. And then another two and a half days to get that boat back out. So that's five days of lost time minimum. Uh, and, and like these guys, their livelihoods are depending on them finishing this trip and stuff. And, and so I didn't want to be the guy that shuts down the whole operation for everybody else. And so I was like, I'm, I'm just going to stay here. I'll see, I'll finish this trip out and stuff. In fact, uh, to stop my tongue or from being cut by my tooth, I went down to the engine room and I got a file and I at least filed it flat so that it would stop cutting my tongue. And, uh, and so I finished out the trip, but I told uh, the, the guys, I said, you know what? I was like, that's it. Cause like my goal the whole time had been to save up money to start my own business. And I was seven years into that. And I'm like, you know what? You've saved up enough, Kevin. Th this was sign enough right here. Uh, it's time to call it a wrap on this this particular portion of your life. And so, yeah, I went home and I've never been back to Alaska as a fisherman again. So, Man, that is just, I love that story so much. There's so much I want to unpack there. First of all, I love the point when you talk about the storm and how you manage the storm, how you can't look at the horizon because you're going to freak the hell out. And, you yeah. know, it's probably just going to make the whole situation worse. So, I mean, I think it's a great analogy to, you know, an entrepreneurial storm or a storm in quote unquote life. It's like, you can't be focused on the craziness of the storm and how it could kill you. You have to focus on what's going on right now. Otherwise it's just going to make the whole situation worse. So that, I think that was a gem in and of itself. 
And I, I just love the fact that you had to file your teeth. That's just insane. Like that must've been, you know, you were already, your face is already bleeding. You're already super in pain. And I can't even imagine what it would feel like to file your own teeth with a nerve exposed. That must've been like one of the r- most ridiculous things ever. So it just goes to show the dedication that you had to your team. That's just absolutely incredible. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, so, so Kevin, there's a huge gap for me because I know you were an Alaskan fisherman and then correct me if I'm wrong. I know you got into the carpet cleaning business and then, and then you end up doing all these joint venture projects, which is kind of similar to what you're doing today. So can you share with us, the people listening right now, how did you end up making the jump from saving up all this money as an Alaskan fisherman to going into carpet cleaning? Why was that the first thing that you decided to do? Okay, so yeah, I I had met this guy in Seattle, and he was in that industry, and uh, looking from the outside looking in, uh, I thought he was pretty successful. He ran a cleaning and restoration company, and I'm like, and so I got to thinking, I was like, wow, well, if that guy can do it, so can I. And I, I had met him, I had known him for a couple months, I hung around him a little bit, and I'm like, you know what, he, yeah. He, if he's doing it, man, it can't be that difficult. So I'm, that's how I chose that industry. It was nothing. I'd like to say (laughs) that it was something grand and that I wanted to make an impact. No bullshit. I just wanted to make some money. And I thought if that guy can do it, so can I, (laughs) that was my whole thing. And I'll tell you what, that, that first year, uh, I invested in the the equipment. I bought a van. I bought a machine, a big cleaning machine, uh, all the supplies. I ran the business out of my home. Uh, got got the computer and all of that stuff. Um, and I mean, I in the first year, I blew through almost three hundred thousand uh, dollars just launching that business and getting myself the supplies and setup I needed. Uh, and I still was not producing a profit in that business because I didn't have a clue how to successfully run a business. I didn't know how to market a business, didn't know how to do any of that. And I saw this article from this guy, Joe Polish, in a <laughs> trade publication for the industry. And I, I read that article and I'm like, dang. As, and this guy was offering this free report and all this. And, and he's like, I can show you how to get more clients in a month than you currently get all year. And I'm like, man, maybe this guy can help me. And so I ordered his report, ended up investing in his marketing system. And first going through it, I thought, I, I was like, I've never seen nothing like this before. And, and I was like, but you know what? They say that this works. And he had all these audios, cassette tapes <laughs> in there that I would put in my cassette tape player in my van and listen to going to and, and hearing from these other people that were using his stuff and like transforming their business. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I was like, it's working for them. Let me start trying this out. And so it started working for me. And uh, then it was not even a year later, I ended up going to a seminar. I ended up joining a coaching group. I started to meet a bunch of other cleaning and restoration professionals and, and long story short, over the next three years, with Joe's help, we completely transformed that business. We transformed it into a by-referral-only company, and uh, it was a massive success, and it would have never happened without Joe's help. That's an, that's an incredible story. I, I knew that you had met Joe back in the carpet cleaning days, but I didn't realize that like 
the, the, the true history behind everything that you were not in a good spot and he kind of saved you. <laughs> and that's, that's, yeah. that's incredible. You came one of his, one of his, you know, primary success stories. So you had said it was by referral only. So how did you, how did you make that happen as a carpet cleaner? So there was two components to it. There was this, this free room of cleaning offer that, that Joe taught me to make. Uh, and, and we did a, we offered a free room of cleaning. So we are start advertising that in the phone book, in the Valpac coupons and everything that we did. And, uh, it, and by offering this free room of cleaning, you know, we, we guaranteed the most thorough cleaning ever, or it's free. And to back that up, we said, Hey, we'll come and clean one room in your house at no charge. And so, and then when we would go clean for people, what it ended up happening, like they would just, it got to the point where we made that offer, but nobody ever ended up taking us up on just that offer. They're like, yeah, we want the offer, but we just want you to clean the whole house. And, and, and the other real big piece, so that, that free room of cleaning became our calling card. And then we ended up implementing a referral program with our clients that, uh, you know, we gave them these gift certificates, three to a page kind of gift certificates that we would just print out and we would hand these things out like they were water where our clients could give these free room cleaning certificates to their friends and they would write their name on it and stuff. And, and they, they could say they're like, hey, I worked out this deal with my carpet cleaner and they'll come and clean a free room in your house. And, and of course, they talk about it because their friend would end up asking, well, what kind of work do they do? And like, oh, man, they're awesome. And they would get to tell their story about how we serve them. And so we ended up building that into, like I said, a by referral only company. And what we did is we would give 10 percent of any job that we got to the, the person who referred it. And so, like, say, let's, our average cleaning job would end up being around $350. And so a referral, we would give the client $35 for that. And I used to send them checks until at one point, my bookkeeper was, starts asking me about, she goes, what are all of these checks do you have? <laughs> that these are all these outstanding checks that, like, they've been outstanding for months and, like, that you keep adding up more checks that aren't getting cast. And I'm like, I was like, those are checks we've been sending our clients for referrals. And she goes, they're not, most of them aren't getting cashed, Kevin. They're just, now they're out there. And I said, well, let me start calling some of these people and see what's going on. And, and so come to find out that people were like, I was like, did you receive the check? Oh yeah, yeah. We got the check and stuff. And I was like, well, I said, like, you didn't cash it. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what I did with that check now. Um, I said, well, do you want us to send you another one? No, we don't need another one. And, and, and I'm like, well, and what we found out was that it wasn't about the referral fee that we paid them at all. They didn't give a rip. Most of them, some of them casted, a very few amount casted. And so we ended up changing things up. And what we did is we started sending out these cards that acknowledged their referral and said, thank you for referring us to so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, these, this card, they, you know, they, they did $350 worth of cleaning with us. So this is worth $35 to you. If you want to redeem it for cash, you can do that and we'll give you cash. Or if you want to use it on your next cleaning or what have you, you can use it there too and deduct it from the bill. And so ultimately what ended up happening is even though 
we were offering a 10% referral reward, what we ultimately paid out was about 10% of that. So we were paying about 1% for referrals because most people, it was the act of acknowledging the referral is what they wanted, not the actual compensation. And so that's that's how we ended up transferring the company into a buy referral only company. I am so grateful I asked that question. Holy crap. I took like I took like a page of notes there. So for for you, for everybody listening to this right now, there is so much wisdom and knowledge in what Kevin just shared right there. First of all, the irresistible offer, the the getting your foot in the door of genuinely showing that you can offer a free room of cleaning, showing that you are you're being a giver, you want to add value to them, and that you're starting the relationship in the right way. And then once you've opened the door to an incredible relationship, how can you continue to make that not a transactional relationship, but rather a transformational relationship. And so that was, that was a huge insight for me. And the last thing too, is just, I would have never guessed that people would not have cashed that check. And so I think that, you know, in, in modern day, when we're not printing coupons and and this kind of thing to give to people, there's lots of wisdom you can use when it comes to understanding what Kevin just shared about uh, acknowledging people appropriately for the referrals. So another thing I wanted to clarify really quickly there. So did you give them like a finite amount of tickets when, when they could have made the referral was like, Hey, here's three that you can give to your friends. Or did you just give them a stack of like 10 or 10? We just would just give them a stack and let them know. Yeah. And, and what we did, we did have stipulations on it. It was war, it was for homeowners only. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, like, so they couldn't give it to somebody living in an apartment complex or sure. something like that. It was just for homeowners. And so, but other than that, you know, they, they just ended up would mostly give it to their neighbors or their family or, you know, friends or what have you like that. And, uh, and then that, you know, coupled with the monthly newsletter that we would send out and running referral contests here and there, I ultimately took the advertising that we were doing, which was we were in the yellow pages, which I think was running us right around $1,200 a month for a full page yellow page ad. And that's a year long commitment once that that book published. Uh, And then we were also running 50,000 Valpac mailers every month, which was about another 1500 a month. And so so we were investing 1700 a month in advertising in those two mediums that ultimately we quit doing that altogether. And, and we started running like extreme contests in our monthly newsletter, where like, especially like January, February, March, which was our slow period, uh, we had a big, huge contest for that whole three months where the giveaway was a Caribbean cruise and stuff like that. And so that would give us like, you know, this like a whole lot more referrals during what would have been a slow period of time. And we acknowledged the people's referrals in the monthly newsletter every month. And then we had the big giveaway in April for to give away the cruise. And like, and we gave all kinds of other prizes away too. But like, you know, when you took all that $1,700 a month plus of advertising dollars and just refunded it, you were able to do some really cool stuff with your clients that would just spur on more referrals because you're giving them such a great experience. That's incredible. I'm I'm so tempted to ask so many more questions here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain myself because <laughs> there 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 are other things that I want to make sure I get to uh, because it's so valuable. But maybe I'll have to make a mental note to ask you about how you structured that newsletter. But <laughs> uh, let's let's kind of so I want to get to the next part uh, because I know you tell this incredible story about joining Genius Network, and so you were you were in the carpet cleaning business at the time. Is that correct? When you joined Genius Network? Uh, no, I actually, okay. so I was in Joe's mastermind group for the cleaning and restoration industry. 
Uh, I sold that business on April 19th of 2004. And I still stayed in his group for the cleaning industry for a year after <laughs> I sold that business, just because I liked the people. And, and finally, I was like, Joe, I said, you know what? I'm not even in the industry anymore. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense for me to stay in this group. And that was in, that was like in probably around sometime the end of 2005 that I, that I told him that. Uh, but uh, he launched Genius Network in 2007. And I ended up joining that in 2008. So. Okay. So I, I just realized too, I, I, I always want to make sure I've learned this from Joel Weldon to not assume that people understand what Genius Network is. So for, for if you're listening to this right now, you don't know what Genius Network is. High level mastermind costs $25,000 a year. Joe has another level. It costs $100,000 a year to attend. And you need to be making kind of yeah, at least seven figures a year to kind of be in this group. So 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 what did, I, what did it feel like to write that $25,000 check when you decided to make that happen? <laughs> I'll tell you what, that was a big, fat, hairy deal at the time. Um, my, my business was growing at the time, uh, and, I, and I had recurring revenue coming in every month, and we were starting to get some pretty good traction. Uh, but when I wrote that check to, 20, to Joe for $25,000, it left me just a few thousand dollars left in my bank account at that time. And I had never done anything like that before. And I mean, I remember even when Joe and I were talking on that phone that day and he was like, Kev, you should, you should join Genius Network. And, and the thing, the other thing too, is like he wanted the members to have at least businesses doing a million dollars a year in revenue. And, and I told him, I said, Joe, I said, I'm not a, at a million dollars a year yet. You know, I said, we, we did half a million that last year. And I was like, I might break a million this year, but we're not there yet. And, and he's like, yeah, Kev, but you and I, we go way back. And, and he's like, you are going to have so much to contribute to this group, which honestly, I didn't see that at that time. Mm. I didn't see that. In fact, I even told him, I said, like, I don't know about that, Joe. And he's like, you are, trust me. He's like, you got to trust me on that. And he's like, you just need to send me a, $25,000 check and be in the group. And I just kind of like, I just paused. And, and like, after a certain amount of time, Joe's like, Kev, you there? And I'm like, yeah, I'm here. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just thinking about what you just said. And, and, and he's like, well, do you want to be in the group? And I was like, yeah, okay. I was like, I'm going to send you a check. And, but I, I'll tell you, even going to that first group, that first meeting that I went to, and uh, it was it's their two day meetings. And that first night we went out to dinner and, and Dan Cashel, I ended up sitting next to Dan Cashel that night at dinner at this little uh, uh, sushi restaurant. And, and Dan and I just started talking and he was asking me, how did you find out about Genius Network and this and that? And I was telling him and I was telling him, I said, you know what, that was a big stretch for me to write a $25,000 check. And, uh, and Dan found out a little bit more about what I do. And, and he's like, you know, Kev, he's like, we can do some stuff together. He's like, let's do some stuff together. You and I, let's get that money back in your bank account so that you can just enjoy being in the group for the year. And you don't have to worry about that 25,000. And within two months, the bulk of that 25,000 was right back in my bank account because of what Dan and I did together. And, and I really learned the power of strategic marketing and or strategic partnerships and relationships mm. through that experience. And of course, Dan and I are still close friends to this day, all these years later. And uh, so that was my 
uh, you know, foray into Genius Network. And but yeah, writing that check was was a commitment. It was a it was a step. In, you know, I mean, it, it. I already had a relationship with Joe, so I, I kind of you know knew that. You know, even Joe and I had that conversation. He's like, Kevin, you know you're going to get value because you always have and you always will. And uh, and so, but it was still a big step. It was still a big step for sure. I had no idea that that was like your first taste of strategic partnerships because I know that that was kind of, you know, the next chapter of your life is going down this this path of just being Kevin the connector and like opening these doors to the relationship. So it was the first deal with Dan Cashel that ended up leading you to strategic partnerships. That that's absolutely yeah, incredible. When I, and I, and I actually did one a few years earlier with Joe uh, because I had been uh, using the internet for my, for my cleaning and restoration business. And Joe had me come down and share at his annual event for the cleaning and restoration industry. He's like, why don't you come down here and show everybody what you're doing with your website? And I was like, sure. And he's like, now, before you come, He's like, you need to document everything you do and how you do it and put it into a package and a training because there's going to be a certain percentage of the people that hear from you that they're going to want help from you. And he's like, just make sure you're ready to give them what they what they want. And so we did that. And uh, I spoke at his event for about 60 minutes. At the end, I just said, hey, you know, if Joe asked me to put something together, if if what I shared resonates with you. If you'd like my help with this, well, here's what that looks like. Here's what the investment is for that. And uh, we ended up making $35,000 in sales. And I was like, wow. I was like, that is way more than I make in a day in the cleaning business. And I want to do a whole lot more of this. And so that's what kind of, and then that launched a whole new business, which, so that was in October of 03, April 19th of 04. I sold the other cleaning business. We moved into this business full time. It was already moving along, but I just now put all my focus on that. And by the time I met Dan, uh, I already had all that in place. And he was like, yeah, let's do some stuff together. And so, yeah. And then that led to hundreds of strategic partnerships from there. So, wow. So there's, there's two things I want to pull from that too. And one of them kind of goes back a little bit in the conversation. So it just reminded me of what you were saying. So first of all, packaging your knowledge, what Kevin shared right there that like, if you're listening to this right now and you're not documenting everything that you're doing inside of your business right now, do it like, like, cause not, not only will it make you more scalable and make it so that you can bring on more people to train, but also if you can help other people with the knowledge that you've already created, there are people that are plenty of steps behind you that would love to hear what you have to say. And you can definitely take the byproduct of what you're already doing anyways, and turn that into another profit center for your business. So that was kind of just uh, something that, that Kevin slipped through there that I think I wanted to make sure people grabbed onto that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you on Kevin had to do with when, when you were talking about Joe saying to you, you know, you have so much that you can contribute to this group. And you were like, I don't know what I can contribute. And I think that this is a problem for many entrepreneurs, you know, whether you're sometimes even further along or in your very beginning, you just don't know what your value is. So for a entrepreneur that like, you know, if you were in that situation or if they were in the situation that you were in what advice would you give them if they feel like they don't know what their value is and how they can begin to understand that and turn that into a business or leverage it at least to grow their business? Sure. You know, and, and that, that, that is kind of a big deal. I mean, it, you know, especially if we are hanging out 
are, are going to be in an opportunity or a location where we are going to be connected with people that we perceive are more successful than us, whether that be that they run a business that's bigger than ours, whether they've been in business longer, whatever, you know, where we're in a situation where we're surrounded or going to be in, you know, uh, close proximity with proximity. I can't believe I just said that word. (laughs) We're going to be in close contact with people that we perceive are somehow further ahead than us, you know, I mean, and that's why I felt, I don't know if I can contribute because my perception of Genius Network was it's all these already really successful entrepreneurs that have ran businesses much bigger than the cleaning business that I used to have, or even bigger than the business that I had at that time. And, you know, what I, and and Joe told me the same thing. And, and he's like, you know, Kev, he's like, I know you. And he's like, you are all about contribution if, if you know, because you're just an entrepreneur who loves solving problems. <laughs> and if somebody's having a problem that you have experience or expertise or resources around or whatever, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm just going to share my experience with them and, and I do my best to help them. He's like, exactly. And that's all you got to do. And he's like, so he's like, why don't you, instead of saying, I can't contribute or I don't know how to contribute, why don't you just let that go and come with the intention of, I'm going to contribute when I have an opportunity. And I'm like, all right, I can do that. And so ever since then, I've done that. I'm just like, I always show up with the intention of, I'm going to contribute when I have an opportunity that makes sense. And that's whether it's in a one-on-one conversation, whether it's doing an interview, whether it's going to a group, going to a seminar, whatever. I'm going to contribute when I have an opportunity. And there's there's no pressure on me. There's no stress on me. If I, if I don't, you know, but here's the thing. When you go with the intention of I want to contribute, the opportunity will present itself always. It'll always present itself. And that's all we have to do. Yeah. I love that so much. And what I, what I want to make sure people understand as well, it's like, and I, I still work on this and I had to work on this, especially when I was going to Genius Network for my first time. It's like, you can't put people on a pedestal. And, and, and Kevin, you can, correct, you can correct me if I'm wrong and add to this or how, however, but my perception of it is if you look upwards at someone as in like, oh my gosh, you have done all these incredible things and here I am, little lonely me and like I haven't done nearly as much. It just creates this insanely weird dynamic between you and that person and they, you can't have a real conversation with them because like, they don't, if you're fanboying to them or fangirling to them, whatever it is. And like, they just, they just can't level it with you and have a real conversation with you. So do you agree with that? Or is there something you would like to add on that? How, how would you approach it? I I agree with that 100%. And I used to like, think that way that like, oh my gosh, you know, here's this person, they're way up here and they've got all this experience and all this, you know, expertise and background. And, and I'm down here because I only have this much. And you're right, you know, that puts you in a weird spot. And it also, it does, it puts them in a weird spot. And here's the thing, no matter how successful somebody is, no matter how big their business is, no matter how much they accomplished, there is not, well, for one, there's not a person on the face of this earth that gets enough appreciation. 
And so this, just finding something that you genuinely appreciate about someone and just letting them know that you're going to just break the ice right then and there, especially if you're together in person, mm -hmm. that's going to lead to just natural conversation. And then just finding out more about who this person is, just asking questions just to get to know them a little bit. And I'm going to let you in on a secret is that, you know, no matter who these people are, I, I used to think the same way about a lot of people and put them on this pedestal. And, and what I found out now through having so many conversations and through, you know, through Tribe for Leaders, you know, and, and Brendan, you know, you're a part of that and like really giving people a space to just share stuff these people that I used to have all this respect for and admiration and put on this pedestal. And I, and I still have, a, in fact, now I've got even more respect and more admiration for them. But I also know that as successful as they are, they also have very real problems, very real challenges that they're just trying to figure out for themselves too. And when it comes to that, that will never change. And because once somebody finds a solution to one problem they're dealing with, another one's going to come up. Something else is always going to come up. And so no matter where somebody is in their life, they're always got something that they're dealing with and trying to figure out. And in, when you can just connect with them at that level and realize that no matter how successful somebody is, they're always looking for help with something, then it, it kind of like evens things out. And it's like, you know, now these people that I used to put up here, I'm just like, no, they're people. They're just like me. They're just trying to make their way in this world. They're trying to make an impact doing whatever it is that they do. And like, let's just have a conversation and get to know each other as people, not that you're this, you know, they up here and I'm here. We're just two guys or two gals or whatever, just trying to make our way in this world. Man, I'm like, I'm like bouncing up and down with excitement because this is, this is so, there's so much gold in what Kevin is sharing here. And there's, there's two things I want to highlight again. I, I guess two is my magic number for today. Uh, but the first thing I want to highlight, because there's a line in, in what Kevin was saying. And again, Kevin, feel free to disagree with me, uh, you know, or let me know, but there's a line between appreciating someone and crossing like that, like what, what I would call like the imaginary stalker line, because that that's where that like, you can, you can appreciate someone and find something that, that you really are respect about them. But if you start going on and on and on and on about how cool they are and how great they are, that's when it starts getting weird a little bit. <laughs> so, so I think, I think that there's like, uh, uh, like you have to express appreciation to them, but again, you have to be careful careful of not putting them up on the pedestal too much, but you just want to level with them as a human being. Um, so that, that's part one. And then I'll, let, I'll, I'll say the other thing. And then Kevin, you can kind of jump back in here. But I think the other thing that I'm realizing, and I got this from Blair Dunkley, who's a part of Tribe for Leaders as well. And I, I went through one of his profiling sessions and he's been on the podcast as well, whether or not that's before or after this is airing. I, I apologize uh, for you listening to this. But one of the things that Blair gave to me as feedback is he says, Brandon, you are 90% uh, communicating from your head and 10% communicating from your heart. And he said, if you want to get to the next level, what you need to do is you need to shift that. You need to learn how to communicate more from your heart than from your head. And part of, I, I think this relates directly to the conversation, what we're talking about right here about having conversations with people, because if you're so worried about, oh, they're so cool, they've done all these incredible things they're so that's when you're intellectualizing it. You're trying to compare all the things that you've done. But if you can connect with them, like another human being, like what Kevin was talking about, and just like having a real conversation with someone and not worrying about all that other crazy stuff, that's really when you can form a real connection is when you're communicating from the heart. So any thoughts on, on that, Kevin? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I, even like, you know, coming on this podcast with you, I, I love the way that you do this because it's not scripted or anything like that. It's just, it's just us having a conversation and, you know, like, and you did, you made me think about stuff that I would have never thought to talk about, but yet it's, I'd like to think this is a pretty valuable conversation for anybody listening to this. I mean, I, that's what I'm feeling about it. And I was like, you know, if, if I would have heard, heard this kind of stuff, I was like, you know what? I know I would find this valuable. And so, but you're right, you know, just, I mean, I, I think about, you know, the time that I, I met Bill Harris and, and before Bill passed away, he was the, the founder of a company called Centerpoint Research Institute. Uh, it was a massively successful company. Bill had been a hero of mine for a long time. I had been to seminars where he had spoke at. I had invested in some of his marketing materials. Uh, and so, in fact, some of his materials were, were really instrumental in my business too. I used his stuff in growing my business. And, and so, you know, when I found myself in a phone conversation with Bill, thanks to a mutual friend who connected us, um, I let him know that. I let him know because I'm, I'm thinking like, wow, I am talking with Bill Harris. Yeah. How cool is this? And, and, I, and I just told him, you know, that I had been to an event where he spoke at, that I'd invested in his stuff and that, you know, it's, it had an impact on my life and on my business. And I was like, you know, Bill, I just want to thank you because you've really had an impact on me. And, you know, just by leading the conversation with that, it, he was so, he was just like, wow, well, Kev, thank you so much for sharing that. That really makes me feel good. And it just led to us having a dialogue and just getting to know each other better and then ultimately becoming partners. And in fact, uh, you know, two months later, Bill and I did a project together. It was one of the biggest projects I'd ever done inside of 24 hours uh, because of the reach that he had. We did a project together. We provided a value for a bunch of his people. And that led to $184,000 in revenue being created for Bill and I in 24 hours. And I would just say, wow. Yeah. Look at that. And, you know, that and, and like, you know, Bill was one of those guys that I definitely looked up to and stuff. But yet, just by being real and by being genuine, you know, not not being appreciative of him from the standpoint of like, OK, I'm going to see what I can get out of this guy. Mm -hmm. I want to have a conversation. I, mean, I, was like, I, I just want to get to know him. And, and for nothing more than just to get to know him and find out, okay, because if, if, if there was anything I could do to help him, I would certainly want to do that. And, and we come from that place. And what happens is, is that we end up creating a reputation for ourselves that people just know us for being this way. And, and really, you know, I, I mean, only recently, because I, I used to think until recently that reputation was really important. Uh, but my friend Tony, you know, recently shared something that I was like, you know what? It's not reputation that's important. It's our character that's mm. important. That when we are just this way, that's what attracts people to us. And it's, it's, it's more, far more about how we make people feel when they're around us than anything else. And when we make people feel a certain way, they just want more. They want to be around us. They just like it because they it's it's a good experience, and so you know it's it's yeah it's far more about that. It's about our character than anything else. Man, I that's just so incredible. 
if you're listening to this, go back and rewind and listen to that. Cause I'm going to tattoo that on my forehead if I can, that was incredible. Um, and the other thing I want to highlight too, is because I think that in today's world, you would find it surprising, I think, to realize that you, you can look at somebody that has all the influence, the millions of followers on all the social platforms and all the testimonials and success stories and that kind of stuff. You would be surprised how much the businesses starts looking like a numbers game that like people aren't real humans anymore. So like when you're like someone like Kevin and you give someone like a heartfelt compliment, that's really genuine. Again, it's not too much. You're showing that, that you made a real impact in your life and you're genuinely appreciative of it. You're not going on their Instagram and saying, Hey, I saw you had eggs last, last week for breakfast. That was really cool too. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but just a genuine, a genuine compliment, compliment for them. They, they really take that to heart because they don't hear that as much as you would think with the reach that people have. Um, and I just think that that's kind of something that many people don't realize is like, Oh, they hear this all the time. If you do it the right way, they don't, they really don't. So right. That's yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, Kevin, again, there's so many things I want to dive into again. And I want to, I want to highlight the fact that Kevin is one of those incredible people where it's like, if you know, Kevin Thompson, you are one to two connections away from pretty much anyone on the planet. So, so Kevin not only is teaching this stuff, but he has applied it and he is a living, breathing example of being able to make these incredible connections with people. Um, so, so Kevin, there are a few other things in regards to developing incredible relationships with people that I wanted to ask you about. One of them is this concept of overnight checks and handwritten notes. Would you mind sharing what that means to you? Sure. You know, the, one of the early strategic partnering projects I did with this was with this friend of mine, Mike. And uh, Mike, it, it, so Joe, you know, he worked with the carpet cleaning and restoration industry, teaching them how to better market themselves. And Mike, he worked he worked with home inspectors doing the same thing in that market. And when Mike found out uh, about some of the stuff that I was doing, he was like, you know what, Kevin, my home inspectors, they would really benefit from you. We need to do an event for them. And so we did an event for them. And very similar to what I did at Joe's live event, we, Mike and I did this virtually on a teleseminar. It wasn't a webinar. It wasn't video. It was just on the telephone. And I shared the same exact process that I did at Joe's live event and made the same, very similar offer. And, uh, and it produced a great amount of revenue. In fact, on that project, it was 48,000 revenue that we had produced because of that. And now I had all these new clients that I was able to serve and impact through what I was doing. And that was the first strategic partnership I had done like that. And I was like, you know, I was like, if I was Mike, I would really appreciate getting paid quickly. And we offered uh, what we were offering. We offered it on three monthly installments of $397. So I was like, you know what? I said, like, we've got all these installments of $397 that came in. I'm going to overnight Mike a check for his share of this. And if we get any refunds or returns or whatever, you know, I'll just, it'll come out in the wash because I'm going to be sending him another check in 30 days and another check in 60 days. So I said, but let me just overnight him a check right now. So I, I just wrote, I just grabbed a piece of paper. I wrote a quick note and said, hey, Mike, you know, wow, you know, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. And, and here's your check. And I'll be sending you another one in 30 days and another one in 60 days. And then I put it in an overnight envelope and I mailed it to him. And the next day, he calls me and he is just absolutely beside himself. He's like, Kevin, he's like, I have partnered with so many people over the years and no one has ever overnighted me a check. 
And he's like, he's like, heck, I got projects I did months ago or even a year ago that I haven't even got compensated for. And he's like, I just want to let you know, this really made an impression. And I'm like, huh. And so I just kind of made a note that like, well, that was a good experience. That was cool to get a call from him. I was like, I'd like more of that. And I'm, I'm just going to keep, every time I do this, I'm going to overnight the check. And so for years, we did that. For years, I overnighted the checks to my partners. In fact, that even became kind of like this, almost like a religious kind of experience, <laughs> overnighting these checks, writing the checks. And as I'm writing them, I'm thinking about my partner. I'm like, wow, you know, who, you know, how many lives is this check going to impact? You know, people in their company, people in their personal lives. And, and like, you know, the, this is just really making an impact. And I just loved writing those notes and just acknowledging those people for the role they played in my life, because without them, my business wouldn't have been growing like it was. And, and over the years, I ended up creating a reputation for myself. I mean, I'd even run to, into people at events and stuff. And as I started having conversations with people here and there once in a while, you know, they'd be like, you know what, I heard about you. You're, you're the guy who overnights the checks. And, you know, that's certainly not a bad reputation to have because, you know, that ended up being becoming a calling card. And it, it but, but it was more than that, Brandon. It was, it was, it, it was how you treat people, hmm. you know, and that you appreciate them and that you, you know, when you, when you make an agreement and say, you know, cause all this was done on, a, you know, over the phone or whatever on a virtual handshake. And, and I told him, I said, this is what we'll do. And this is how we'll do it. And, and when you just honor your word and do what you say you're going to do and treat people well, not because you have to, but because you just want to. And when you get a reputation for doing that, you know, but like I said, you know, my, my, I really liked creating that reputation for myself. And of course, I'm going to continue doing that. But really, it still comes down to I, th this is who I am. This is how I love treating people. And, and I like the way it makes me feel. I like the response I get. I like that it furthers the relationship, all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that's just become part and parcel of, of what I did all these years. I, geez, I keep saying the same sentence. So now I'm just going to say, I love that. I love that. I love that. People are going to be like, say something else, Brandon, besides I love that. But Kevin, Kevin's dropping so much knowledge. This is absolutely incredible. And I want to, I want to highlight because something, something that Jules, Kevin's, Kevin's partner and tribe for leader, if you guys have, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't listened to the episode with Jules, go listen to episode, I think it was episode three with Jules. Uh, so, so Kevin and Jules make an unstoppable team as if you can't imagine. But one of the things that Jules has helped me to realize is that when you are in alignment, well, she says it this way, alignment equals velocity. I don't know if she got that or she got it from somewhere else. But I think that when you were in alignment with who you truly are in your business, you will grow so much faster. It's not even funny. And if, and if you listen to the very, very beginning of this conversation with Kevin, think about the very first story that Kevin told. It was that he was on a boat. He met Captain John Wydell. And he said, I will not let you down. And I, I, I guarantee I will be a man of my word and I'm going to make this happen. And look at it's that has served Kevin his entire life and up to the point where he's overnighting checks and he becomes known as the overnight check guy that, that does incredible relationships and is one of the most trustworthy people on the planet. So I, I say that not only to just highlight that and show that through line for Kevin, but if you're listening to this right now, think about what is a through line for you? How can you be in alignment with where you have always been? Because that will naturally lead to more consistencies in the way that you are handling your relationships, the way you're conducting your business. And I think it's just going to make things so much better if you're just in alignment with where, who you always are. So Kevin, thank you for being who you always were. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Kev, I know I, I asked in the beginning, but now I'm a total dork. We have 15 minutes left. Is that correct? Or do we do I have to kind of wrap things up here? Yeah, we got about 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So one other thing I wanted to make sure I asked you is you have a very unique approach to doing strategic partnerships. Somebody might be listening to this and they're like, okay, $16.1 million plus in strategic partnerships. You know, I don't even know that number is probably small because I think I, ca- I caught that from somewhere else, but that plus hundreds of strategic partnerships. And one thing I know about you is that you believe in the concept of a handshake deal. And so I would love for you to share about that? Because some people would be like, how the heck can you conduct all that? And you don't have to write a single contract or so just, it's just kind of crazy. So share, share with us about your philosophy of handshake deals. Yeah. Any, anybody who's listened to this, if they're an attorney, they might cringe. (laughs) (laughs) I have an attorney friend who does cringe and and really, I mean, she's got my best interest in her, but you know, her, her thought process is like, well, Kev, you know, you really should do contracts just to get it in writing what you're agreeing to so that make sure everybody understands. And, and, I, and I get her point. I totally get her point. But uh, I've just been a guy that's been a handshake guy all my life. And, you know, uh, even with what we do now with Tribe for Leaders, you know, uh, it's, 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 you know it's, it's not a mastermind what we do. It's, it's really, it's a community where Jules and I become partners with all of the members. And, and that's what we want. We want to, we don't just want to be running a committee. We want to be partners with each member. And we want to watch as everybody grows. We want to have a hand in that as everybody in the community grows. And, and because we're partners with them, we also want to share in the revenue that gets added to their business. And so we, we always tell everybody when we invite somebody into the group, you know, first of all, we're very intentional about who we even invite in because in order to do business this way, you, you can't do business this right. way with just anybody. <laughs> you have to be very intentional. And, and the only kind of person that we found that we can do business with in this way on a handshake kind of a thing is, well, for one, they have to be entrepreneurs who are like-minded like us, uh, who have, you know, not only expertise and experience and resources and connections that they bring to the table, but on the other side of the coin, they are also some of the most giving, generous, lead with a helping hand people of integrity you'd ever meet. Because when you have both of those components, and when people show up with the intention of, I want to contribute, I want to help, I want to serve, and that is first, that is first, that they want to do that. And knowing that because everybody shows up that way, they're going to get exactly what they need in return as well. Because when everybody shows up that way, how the heck could you not get everything you need? (laughs) And so we're very intense. So you have to be, you know, I I can't just do this with anybody and everybody. They've got to be vetted. We got to have a conversation. We got to make sure we're in alignment on all this and all that. But assuming that's all in place, I, I am. It's just a total handshake thing. And I just ask them and say, hey, you know what? If if we put $100 in your pocket, and what, what, what would you be willing to share as a result for us helping you do that? And there is no right or wrong answer to this. It's whatever feels right for you. 
And, you know, I, I explained this, that we've got, you know, most of our members are somewhere between 10 and 20%, some higher, some lower. And I was like, there is no right or wrong answer. It's whatever feels right for you. And I know sometimes, you know, uh, companies have different, you know, different services they offer with different profit margins on each or whatever. And so we, you know, we might look at some of that. But most of the time, people are just like, you know, this percentage would feel really good to me. And I'm like, perfect. That's what we'll go with. And I also let them know if at any time, whatever we agree to right here, right now, if this does not work for you, then you let us know because I want to revisit this conversation and we'll need to make adjustments because this is far more about long-term relationships over any short-term profit. And that's the way it's always been. And that's the way I've always felt because I understand and like, you know, people who really get this understand that that the the value is not in the thing that we do. That's part of it. But the real value is in our relationships, because when we have relationships with the right people and people like the way that we make them feel when they're around us. They're going to tell other people about us. When I mean, like, my gosh, when 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 people have a good experience in Tribe for Leaders, and they they just naturally default to, you know what? I know somebody. They need to be in this group <laughs> because they would have so much value to offer. They would get so much in return. My gosh, they need to be here too. And so, like, we get referrals. You know, I don't like to call them referrals. It's more like nominations because they're telling the person about their experience already and saying, man, you need to talk with Kevin or Jules because this would be for you. (laughs) And so, you know, when you show up that way, when you are just this way, you don't have to worry about your business growing. Your business is going to grow. People are going to want to talk about you because you're creating such an amazing experience for them. Man, long-term relationships over short-term profit. Love that. And the other thing I want to make sure people understand too is think, look, listen to how Kevin articulated that whole thing. If we put $100 in your pocket, what would you be willing to give us back in return for that? So think about how that feels when you hear that versus what percentage of a deal would you be willing to give me? If you strip it down, it's essentially the same question. It basically is the same question, but think about how one makes you feel versus the other one. If we add value to you, we put $100 in your pocket, what would you be willing to give us back in return for that? And so there's, there's lots of things, like go back. I keep telling people to go back. Go back and re-listen to that again because there are a few key words that Kevin said that make a heck of a difference when it comes to relationships. Nomination versus a referral. Think about how those two words make a difference. And I, I, I think I remember when uh, Jules and, and you, uh, you, Kevin, had had a realization that nomination was a key word. But like, there's so much there. Nomination over referral, putting $100 in your pocket, what would you be willing to give back in return? Long-term relationships over short-term profit. You know, so so much that you can learn from just integrating those into your language patterns. Uh, I just think that's super powerful. And I appreciate that you, you shared the part on negotiation too, or quote-unquote negotiation. If for whatever reason, you're not happy with what we've agreed upon today, just let me know and we can revisit this conversation. So it's just one of those things that is just based on an incredible relationship. So Kevin, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're wrapping up here, but is there is there anything else that you feel like we should have talked about in relationships that has been just critical to you being Kevin the Connector? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be a grandpa for the sixth time over soon. And I'm pretty stoked about that. <laughs> in fact, that is very imminent. Yes. <laughs> and so, and uh, I'm a... Uh, 
So, but no, I mean, I, man, Brendan, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you because you you made me think about some things that I hadn't thought about you, you know, and, and recall some experiences that I hadn't thought about and, and wouldn't even have considered even like, oh, that those would be great talking points. But this has been really good. Uh, for me, and I and I and I hope it's. I, I hope your listeners get a ton of value from this too and stuff. I'm and, I'm uh, sure they did. Yeah, yeah. actually, uh, one one thing I I realized I forgot to ask. I want to make sure I squeak this in here. Uh, so so you can you can talk for as much or as little as you want on this. But I would be completely mad at myself if I didn't ask you. Kevin has, and hopefully I get these numbers right. Kevin has seven kids and five grandkids. And but what, by what you just said is about to be six grandkids. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's how, correct. so, so I know, I know I probably should have asked this sooner, but like, how do you manage all these, all these crazy businesses and having an incredible relationship with your wife and having seven kids and now almost six grandkids, any, any tips for us building families or in relationships or <laughs> looking to prioritize our family life when we're doing these crazy entrepreneurial things? I'll tell you what, when I met Lisa, I met Lisa, my wife in 2003. And when I met her, uh, she was a single mom and had been for 10 years raising the four older kids, uh, Jerry, Adam, Michaela, and Caitlin. And um, that was an experience. I mean, I, I, I knew right away that Lisa was the woman for me. Uh, she got introduced to me by my brother, who used to live next door to her at the time. Uh, and he called me one day and he's like, Kevin, he's like, you really got to meet my neighbor gal. I mean, she is an awesome gal. And, and, uh, you know, I, I could invite her over to, you know, he lived with his girlfriend at the time. He's like, we can invite her over to dinner and we'll have you over and uh, we can hook you guys up and stuff. And of course, my first question was, was how many kids she got? And, uh, and, and he's like, she's got four kids. And I was like, Kyle, four kids. <laughs> and, and, uh, but coming from my brother, he, he was like, Kevin, but they are such awesome kids. And you got to know, my brother is a guy who never wanted kids of his own. Uh, he, he won't ever, have, he's married. They're happily married. He's got stepkids, but he's never had kids of his own and doesn't want kids of his own. But so, so to have him say that carried so much weight. And, uh, so I met her, we immediately hit it off. Uh, she, she really laid it on the line with me right from the get go. She knew what she was looking for in a relationship and she knew what she wasn't looking for. And she was like, Kevin, this is what I'm looking for. And if you're not this, that's totally cool. But you know what? Don't waste my time either. Just let me know that that's not what you're looking for. And we can, you know, we can just go our separate ways or whatever. And I'm like, you know what, man, I like this. Here's a, here's a gal who knows what she wants. She's not afraid to like let somebody know what she wants, and uh, and we just totally hit it off. And we, um, you know, there was definitely some growing pains. But those four kids, those four older kids, even though now as you know, we've got all this water on the bridge, they they all call me dad, not because I've ever demanded it, but because they just want to do that. And Lisa and I had two more kids of our own. Uh, Brock is twelve now. Uh, Eliana is 10. Then we adopted Abby. She's now nine. We adopted her when she was three. So we still got three kids under our roof. And, you know, family has always been a big, fat, hairy deal to me. I love being a dad. I love being a father. And in fact, you know, in a couple of days, uh, my son Brock and I are going to go up skiing again this year. And and uh, I, I just love spending time with the kids. And, and uh, I've intentionally structured 
my business so that it fits in and supports the kind of lifestyle that I want to live and allows me to like, you know, even like last week when we had this water main leak, I, I had to deal with that. I had to get some friends over here to help me help get that fixed and everything. And, and that meant that I had to reschedule a couple of appointments with people that were on my calendar. And yet those people were totally fine with that. They're like, Kev, you know what? You got to take care of your family. That's most important right now. You got to get that fixed and get water back on at your house. And like, they totally got it. And, you know, when, when we're in alignment and, and you brought that up, you know, when we're in alignment with who we are and how we can best help people, not only will our business grow, but we're just going to have so much more joy, so much more happiness. We're going to be surrounded with people who like, you know, when, when stuff comes up that they're, they're going to give you some stuff, Brandon, you and I, we rescheduled this interview <laughs> because of that water situation last week. And like you were so graceful and you were so understanding. And it's like, you know, I, but that I just have come to expect that in my world because I treat people the same way. So. I love, man, this is, I'm so glad I asked that question because it just shows that again, you, people, I, I, I always say that people feel like I, many people feel like that to be successful in business, that you have to kind of sacrifice the health, happiness and relationships. But I think you are living proof that, you know, once you make a conscious decision to prioritize the important things, you actually can grow faster and you can do things the right way if you're in hundred percent alignment. So thank you for sharing that. And it's incredible. Congratulations, early congratulations on, on the next grandkid. And that's absolutely incredible. So so I know you got to get going here, Kevin. Uh, so I last, last, last question I absolutely promise is where can people find out more about what you're up to and, and see all the incredible projects and people that you're meeting? They, they can check out our website, tribeforleaders.com. And if they want to, I, you know, I'm not nearly as active on LinkedIn as I am on Facebook, at least right now, for as long as Facebook's around, hopefully it'll stick around for a while. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, those two places, uh, you know, just look me up, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kevin, the connector on Facebook and, uh, yeah, happy to connect with you there too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. This has been a blast and I'm sure we'll talk to you very soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Brandon.